I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. I remind you of your sermon notes in the back of your bulletin with some spaces to be filled in, and yes, there will be a test later. Let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, the annual Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena, California, was rolling right along on schedule. And then there was a problem. One of the floats pulled by a truck stalled. The truck just died. And, uh, of course, that caused the entire parade to come to a screeching halt. This is a big problem because this event is televised the world over. And so this was an emergency. So a small army of mechanics descended upon the truck pulling the float. They examined it from stem to stern, could not find a problem. Finally, someone had the presence of mind to check the fuel level in the truck. It was bone dry. And it was really embarrassing because the float was sponsored by a major oil company of America. You know, Christians can run out of fuel, too. Yes, it happens. Uh, borrowing an expression from the world of track and field, we can hit the wall, so to speak. The struggles of life have a way of draining us. Uh, we can be depleted by temptations and trouble and grief. And unless we are receiving fresh resources from a reliable source, we are in trouble. We have such a source, available, inexhaustible, and he is the Holy Spirit. The writer and theologian Herb Miller has written, what fuel is to a card, what fuel is to a car, the Holy Spirit is to the believer. He energizes us to stay the course. He motivates us in spite of obstacles. He keeps us going when the road gets tough. In short, he is our spiritual fuel. In the first church I served, there was a woman, I'm going to call her Maud. That was not her name, but it should have been, I think. Uh, I don't think I ever saw Maud smile or say an encouraging word. And in a fit of bad judgment, the nominating committee put her on the administrative board of our church. And in almost every single meeting, sooner or later, Maud would raise her hand and would say, well, maybe I ought not to say this, but, and then she would go right on and say it anyway, and sure enough, she was right. She shouldn't have said it. It would be some discouraging, pessimistic, critical word that the church didn't need. Now, what was Maud's problem? She professed faith in Christ. She was a morally upright person, but she had a severe power shortage. And I, as a rookie pastor, was not on intimate terms with the Holy Spirit at that time, and therefore 
I was not in much of a position to help her, sorry to say. The Holy Spirit was showered upon the infant church 50 days after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. On that great day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday, some 120 disciples of Jesus were gathered in a room behind locked doors because they were so afraid of the Jews. And suddenly there was the sound of a violent wind, like a hurricane, in that place. Uh, in Greek, which is the language, of course, in which the New Testament was written, the words for wind and spirit are the same. Pneuma, pneuma. It's the root word for pneumonia or pneumatic, meaning wind-related. A mighty wind of the Spirit blew through that place, and it blew away the, the fear and the doubt of those disciples. And they inhaled self-confidence and boldness. And suddenly, this ragged aggregation of misfits became a disciplined cadre of spiritual stormtroopers. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, the wimps became warriors. The Holy Spirit is a person. We should not refer to him as an it. He is our invisible helper. He resides in the heart of every believer. The Holy Spirit is God's presence and power moving across the face of the world. And my purpose today is to help us know, love, and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit in a greater way. Little boy asked his father one day, is the Holy Spirit a ghost or is he like a cloud just floating around? And the father whispered a quick prayer for guidance. And then he asked his son, he said, son, uh, have you ever felt real close to God? And the little boy nodded. And the father said, that was the Holy Spirit touching your heart. Our scripture lesson for today is all about the Holy Spirit, and I want to set the scene for you from that passage that was read to you a moment ago from John 16. Jesus and his disciples are meeting in an upper room there in Jerusalem. Jesus is delivering his farewell address to them. Later that same night, he will be arrested. The next day, he will die on a cross for us. The disciples are sad Terribly sad because Jesus has told them that he would be leaving them soon. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, while Jesus was physically present in this world for three years, he was subject to normal human limitations. He could be in only one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is under no such restraints. So when Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, he knew that the Holy Spirit would make that possible at all times and in all places. In our scripture lesson for today, Jesus gives us three vital truths about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. There's an old rural saying, 
Don't know exactly which county it comes from. Somewhere in rural South Carolina that goes like this. You can't get the water cleared up till you get the hogs out of the creek. Similarly, neither can you make any progress toward holiness until you work on those areas of your life that need cleansing. St. Paul said, the Holy Spirit searches everything. And, and maybe we wish that the Holy Spirit were not quite so nosy, but it's for our own good. Let me compare each of us to a glass of water like this one. If even one drop of ink is dropped into this glass, we would consider it unfit to drink. Similarly, even a little bit of sin, unrecognized and unrepented, can corrupt our lives. The Holy Spirit reveals if there's any impurity in our glass. Let me give you some examples. Let's suppose that my friend, a minister, is elected bishop of our church. I should rejoice with him and probably offer sympathy too, but mainly rejoice with him. Yes. But if there's any jealousy in my glass, I will have very different feelings. Let's suppose that I'm walking down the street and I see just beautiful young lady. I should just be thankful to God that he created beautiful people, beautiful outside, beautiful inside, and some are beautiful both on both sides. I should just rejoice. But if there's any lust in my glass, I will feel very different. Let's suppose that my neighbor gets a brand new television. I mean, this is one of those huge, biggest, almost as big as a movie screen. Covers one whole wall in his house. I should rejoice with him. He might let me come over and watch a ball game. But if there's any envy in my glass, I will feel something very different. Sometimes the Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable by revealing that there's something in our glasses that needs to be cleansed. But it's for our own good. The Holy Spirit is our alarm system, setting off warning signals if the evil one is attacking our heart and mind. Second truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. In fact, St. Paul said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. This means that even if you're smart enough to earn a Ph.D., in nuclear physics from Harvard, you still can't relate to God without the help of the Holy Spirit. Even if you're a man who thinks he understands all about women but is wise enough not to say it out loud, you still can't relate to God without the help of the Holy Spirit. On numerous occasions, I have felt the nudge to read a particular book or article, maybe... Uh, go to a particular seminar, have lunch with a particular person, and then maybe a month later in my normal ministry, I have a vital need for some particular piece of information or insight that came to me from those earlier contacts. I don't think that was coincidence. No, that was the Holy Spirit leading me into all truth. I know you've had the experience of coming to a worship service when you really were distracted. Uh, 
Maybe there's some, some event of the following week that was on your mind. Maybe there was some problem you were dealing with. Who knows? Maybe the kids were arguing all the way to church. And so you were not in a worshipful mood. You know you weren't. But then in the middle of the service, some great truth comes zeroing in on your heart like an arrow to a bullseye. You know how that happens. It's the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, if you ever leave a worship service saying to yourself, wow, God was there. I was blessed. You need to know the Holy Spirit did the heavy lifting. You can be sure of that. Verse 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is always true to Scripture. And in John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus offers this prayer for us, for all disciples. Sanctify them by the truth. And then he tells us what truth is. Your word is truth. End of quote. So, if somebody on television tells you that certain parts of this Bible are outdated, no longer relevant, don't you believe it? The gospel of CNN or the gospel of The View or the gospel of Fox News is not necessarily the gospel of Jesus Christ. Check to see if that TV message glorifies Jesus Christ and agrees with the Bible. Genuine messages from the Holy Spirit always do. Third truth about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit supplies what we need. The Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos, and it has several meanings. In verse 7 of our scripture lesson, using the New International Version, it is rendered as counselor. But there are other titles that the Holy Spirit has too. Comforter, helper, advocate, or defense attorney. And battle partner. The Holy Spirit fills all of these roles in our lives. He understands our needs better than we do, and He meets them in gracious, wise ways. He equips us to be on duty for Jesus Christ. And according to the book of Acts, the very last words Jesus said before He ascended into heaven, He told those disciples, Don't you leave here right away. You wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then he, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus was telling those disciples and he's telling us that unless a Christian is spirit filled, he is a puny disciple. Sort of like a preacher without a Bible or a pharmacist without any drugs are a carpenter without any tools. The Greek word parakletos actually comes from a military context. It comes from the, the ancient Greeks. In the Greek military, a soldier always went into battle with a partner, and that was his parakletos, who covered his blind side, of course, helped him if he got into trouble. I like to think of the Holy Spirit as my battle partner, my parakletos. You know, we often say an expression that's very common today is, I've got your back. And what that means is, I'm looking out for you. I'm defending you. 
I like to think that the Holy Spirit has my back. He is my paracletos. Now, I cannot talk about the Holy Spirit very long without giving a personal testimony. Because the most important thing the Lord has taught me in, in the last 50 years is who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, I went through seminary, I promise you, and I learned the theory of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, I knew that. And I prayed to God, my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, is my Savior and Lord. But I did not know the Holy Spirit in a personal way. At the age of 25, I was assigned to two young churches on the north side of Columbia. I felt complimented. I said, wow, the conference has great. They, they, they must really love me because they gave me two churches instead of one. I was just thrilled. I was full of zeal and confidence. In fact, I was overconfident. My philosophy was there is no problem that can't be solved if you give me enough time. I don't have any limitations. Just give me enough time and I can solve it. And I didn't know how to delegate, and so I did everybody's church work for them. If even somebody hinted that something needed to be done around the church, I was all over it. And I had two churches and a new wife, and I was obsessive-compulsive to the core. I did not believe in vacations, and if my wife insisted on taking a brief one, I tried to schedule every hour, almost drove her up the wall. For example, I remember one of those rare snowy days here in the Columbia area. Five or six inches of snow fell. I was thrilled, but not for normal reasons. I was thrilled because I knew that all of my church people would have to be at home. It would be a great day for visitation. I think I made 26 home visits in that one day. That's just proof of a card-carrying, obsessive-compulsive. And then for the first time, I began to bump into my limitations. For the first time, I began to have periods of, of chronic anxiety. I began to have some spells of insomnia and chronic indigestion. So I went to our family doctor, dear old Dr. John Holler, I said, Dr. John, I'm pretty sure I've got an ulcer, and I need you to fix it this week because I don't have time. I'm a busy person. I don't have time to fool with this. It's slowing me down. Dr. John put me through some medical tests, upper GI series. A couple of weeks later, he brought me back in, and he said, son, you don't have an ulcer. But I want you to explain to me your typical weekly schedule. I thought it was a waste of time, but I whipped out this little black minister's schedule book that I always carried, and I just walked him through a couple of weeks of my workaholic schedule. Dr. John said, uh, son, he said, you're burning the candle at both ends. You are demanding more from your body and mind than they want to provide. And then he said something that hurt my feelings. He said, you need to find a source bigger than you are. Ooh, that chapped my cheeks. 
I thought to myself, he's got a lot of nerve preaching to a preacher. I see his medical, I see his medical degree on the wall. I don't see any theological degree. Where does he get off preaching to me about? But you know how when you have heard the truth, even though you don't like it, but you know there's some truth there. I felt that as I was driving home that day. Before long, the conference moved us to a new appointment in Hartsville, South Carolina. And after a few months there, I became aware that I had some folks in my congregation who were very intimate with the Holy Spirit. But what threw me a curve was they were not weird. You know, in my ignorance, I had believed that if you were intimate with the Holy Spirit, you would be a holy roller. You would shout out things at inappropriate times. You might speak in an unknown tongue in the middle of the worship service. You would do something weird. These folks didn't do anything weird. They were responsible, well-balanced, loving, wonderful, wonderful Christians. And my wife and I were in a small group with some of them, so we really got to know them well. And I may just say parenthetically here, if you've never experienced a small group, ooh, there are so many opportunities for them here at Mount Horeb, and you need to because I love Sunday school classes, but their main task is educational. A small group, on the other hand, 12 people or less meeting at least twice a month, oh, you get to be very close brothers and sisters. You really come to know one another, love one another, share, pray for each other, bear burdens together. Hold each other accountable, and, and that's the way to grow as a disciple. Uh, Jesus modeled this for three years with 12 men, and so if you haven't ever experienced it, I urge you to take advantage of that. But back to Hartsville. When some of these uh, spirit-filled brothers and sisters would talk to me individually, and I knew they loved me, they would say things like, Brother Bill, God has called you a ta to a task and it's a task that requires more than any person has in the way of capabilities, energy, understanding, multiple gifts. Uh, nobody has that in and of themselves, but there is a source available to you, inexhaustible. He is the Holy Spirit, and all you have to do is ask. And then they taught me two verses from the Bible that I want to imprint on your hearts today. The first one is Ephesians 5, verse 18, where Paul wrote, Be filled with the Spirit. And I knew enough Greek to know that that verb, be filled, really means be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual walking, and refilling with the Spirit. And then they taught me Luke 11, verse 13, where Jesus said, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow, there it is, right there in black and white in my Bible. Jesus is telling me that the very best gift he can give to a Christian is the Holy Spirit, and that if you ask, He guarantees that it will be given. What a revelation that was for me. So right there, I worked out a new covenant with God Almighty. Uh, I said, first of all, Lord, in order to curb my 
workaholic, obsessive-compulsive tendencies. I'm going to limit my work for the church to not more than 55 hours per week, and I'm going to be home at least three nights a week. Secondly, I, I'm going to take much better care of this body you've given me. I'm going to exercise regularly, I promise you. But then I said, Lord, here comes the big one. Every day of my life, I'm going to ask for a 24-hour infilling of your Holy Spirit, and I'm going to stake my life and my ministry on what the Holy Spirit will provide. Now, I started that practice over 40 years ago, and it wasn't long before I knew my life was being revolutionized. I began to come to the end of a typical day, not feeling depleted and run over by a truck, but feeling revived, uh, joyous, at peace. I knew that I was being fueled by a source bigger than I was. And if anything of lasting value has come out of my ministry, the credit belongs to the Holy Spirit. So, with that word of personal testimony, it's time to review the three truths I've taught you this morning about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to invite you to say them out loud with me. The first one is, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. Second, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And third, the Holy Spirit supplies what we need. Some of you who are older than most of you will remember the classic, will remember when the classic movie Ben-Hur was first released. That was almost 60 years ago. Charlton Heston, of course, was the star. That movie won 11 Academy Awards. Charlton Heston for Best Actor and William Wyler for Best Director. And, of course, the movie can be seen as a rerun now on a lot of movie channels. Uh, you will remember that the most exciting part of the movie is the chariot race. And when that part of the movie was being filmed, Charlton Heston said to William Wyler, Look, I can barely stay on this thing. How in the world am I going to win the race? And Wyler replied, Look, your job is to stay on it. It's my job to make you win. Similarly, our task is, as Christians is just to be faithful where God has placed us. It's God's job to make us more than conquerors. And how does he do it? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, our invisible helper. So I'm challenging you today to include this simple request in your daily prayer and make it a commitment of a lifetime. Lord, for the next 24 hours, I ask you to fill me completely with your Holy Spirit. The Lord will do what he has promised, and it will revolutionize your life. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.